Chapter Twenty of *The Giant's Robe* by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty. A Declaration of War. On the morning of the day which witnessed Dolly's happy deliverance from the terrors which had haunted her so long, Mabel had received a note from Harold Caffyn. He had something to say to her, he wrote, which could be delayed no longer. He could not be happy until he had spoken. If he were to call some time the next morning, would she see him, alone? These words she read at first in their most obvious sense, for she had been suspecting for some time that an interview of this kind was coming, and even felt a little sorry for Harold, of whom she was beginning to think more kindly. So she wrote a few carefully worded lines, in which she tried to prepare him as much as possible, for the only answer she could give but before her letter was sent dolly had told her story of innocent guilt mabel read his note again and tore up her reply with burning cheeks she must have misunderstood him it could not be that he must have felt driven to repair by confession the harm he had done and she wrote instead i shall be very willing to hear anything you may have to say and took the note herself to the pillar-box on the hill Harold found her answer on returning late that night to his room, and saw nothing in it to justify any alarm. "'It's not precisely gushing,' he said to himself, "'but she couldn't very well say more just yet. I think I am pretty safe.' So the next morning he stepped from his hansom to the Langton's door, leisurely and coolly enough. Perhaps his heart was beating a little faster, but only with excitement and anticipation of victory— for after Mabel's note he could feel no serious doubts. He was shown into the little boudoir looking out on the square, but she was not there to receive him. She even allowed him to wait a few minutes, which amused him. "'How like a woman,' he thought. "'She can't resist keeping me on the tenterhooks a little, even now.' There was a light step outside. She had come at last, and he started to his feet as the door opened. "'Mabel!' he cried. He had meant to add, my darling, but something in her face warned him not to appear too sure of her yet. She was standing at some distance from him, with one hand lightly resting on a little table. Her face was paler than usual. She seemed rather to avoid looking at him, while she did not offer to take his outstretched hand. Still, he was not precisely alarmed by all this. Whatever she felt, she was not the girl to throw herself at any fellow's head. She was proud, and he must be humble, for the present. "'You had something to say to me, Harold.' With that, with what a pretty shy hesitation she spoke his name now, he thought, with none of the sisterly frankness he had found so tantalising. And how delicious she was, as she stood there, in her fresh white morning-dress.' There was a delightful piquancy in this assumed coldness of hers, a woman's dainty device to delay and heighten the moment of surrender. He longed to sweep away all her pretty defences, to take her to his arms and make her own that she was his for ever. But somehow he felt a little afraid of her. He must proceed with caution. "'Yes,' he said, "'there is something I must say to you. You will give me a hearing, Mabel, won't you?' i told you i would hear you i hope you will say something to make me think of you differently he did not understand this exactly but it did not sound precisely encouraging 
"'I hoped you didn't think me a very bad sort of fellow,' he said. And then, as she made no answer, he plunged at once into his declaration. He was a cold lover on the stage, but practice had at least given him fluency, and now he was very much in earnest. He had never known till then all that she was to him. There was real passion in his voice, and a restrained power which might have moved her once. But Mabel heard him to the end only because she felt unable to stop him without losing control over herself. She felt the influence of his will, but it made her the more thankful that she had so powerful a safeguard against it. He finished, and she still made no response, and he began to feel decidedly awkward. But when at last she turned her face to him, although her eyes were bright, it was not with the passion he had hoped to read there. "'And it really was that, after all,' she said bitterly. "'Do you know I expected something very different?' "'I said what I feel. I might have said it better, perhaps,' he retorted. "'But at least tell me what you expected me to say, and I will say that.' "'Yes, I will tell you. I expected an explanation.' "'An explanation?' he repeated blankly. "'Of what?' "'Is there nothing you can remember which might call for some excuse if you found I had heard of it? "'I will give you every chance, Harold. "'Think. Is there nothing?' Caffin had forgotten the stamp episode as soon as possible, as a disagreeable expedient to which he had been obliged to resort, and which had served its end, and so he honestly misunderstood this question. "'Upon my soul, no,' he said earnestly. I don't pretend to have been any better than my neighbours, but since I began to think of you, I never cared about any other woman. If you've been told any silly gossip... Mabel laughed, but not merrily. Oh, it's not that. Really, it did not occur to me to be jealous at any time, especially now. Harold, Dolly has told me everything about that letter, she added, as he still looked doubtful. He understood now, at all events, and took a step back as if to avoid a blow. Everything? His brain seemed dulled for an instant by those words. He thought that he had said enough to prevent the child from breathing a syllable about that unlucky letter, and now Mabel knew everything. But he recovered his power of thought almost directly, feeling that this was no time to lose his head. "'I suppose I'm expected to show some emotion,' he said lightly. "'It's evidently something quite too terrible. "'But I'm afraid I want an explanation this time.' "'I think not. "'But you shall have it. "'I know that you came in and found that poor child "'tearing off the stamp from some old envelope of mine, "'and had the wickedness to tell her she had been stealing. "'Do you deny it?' "'Some old envelope?' "'The worst of Caffin's fear vanished when he heard that.' She did not know that it contained an unread letter, then. She did not guess. How could she, when Dolly herself did not know it, where the letter had come from? He might appease her yet. Caffin's first inference, it may be said, was correct. In Dolly's mind her guilt had consisted in stealing a marked stamp, and her hurried and confused confession had, quite innocently and unconsciously, left Mabel ignorant of the real extent and importance of what seemed to her a quite imaginary offence. "'Deny it?' he said. "'Of course not. I remember joking her a little over something of the sort. 
is that all this tremendous indignation is about a joke a joke she said indignantly you will not make anyone but yourself merry over jokes like that you set to work deliberately to frighten her you did it so thoroughly that she has been wretched for days and days ill and miserable with the dread of being sent to prison you did threaten her with a prison harold you told her she must even be afraid of her own father of all of us who can tell what she has been suffering all alone my poor little dolly and you dare to call that a joke i never thought she would take it all so literally he said oh you are not stupid harold only a cruel fool could have thought he was doing no harm and you have seen her since again and again you must have noticed how changed she was and yet you had no pity on her can't you really see what a thing you have been doing do you often amuse yourself in that way and with children hang it mabel said caffyn uneasily you're very hard on me why were you hard on my darling dolly mabel demanded what had she done to you how could you find pleasure in torturing her do you hate children or only dolly he made a little gesture of impatient helplessness oh if you mean to go on asking questions like that he said of course i don't hate your poor little sister i tell you i'm sorry she took it seriously very sorry and-and if there's anything i can do to make it up to her somehow any-any amends you know the hardship as he felt at this time of his peculiar position was that it obliged him to offer such a lame excuse for his treatment of dolly without the motive he had had for his conduct it must seem dictated by some morbid impulse of cruelty whereas of course he had acted quite dispassionately under the pressure of a necessity which however it was impossible to explain to mabel i suppose amends mean caramels or chocolates said mabel chocolates to compensate for making a child shrink for days from those who loved her she was fretting herself ill and we could do nothing for her a very little more and it might have killed her perhaps your sense of humour would have been satisfied by that if it had not been for a friend almost a stranger who was able to see what we were all blind to that a coward had been practising on her fears we might never have guessed the truth till till it was too late i see now he said i thought there must be someone at the bottom of this someone who for purposes of his own has contrived to put things in the worst light for me if you can condescend to listen to slanders mabel i shall certainly not condescend to defend myself oh i will tell you his name she said and then even you will have to own that he had no motive for doing what he did but natural goodness and kindness i doubt even if he has ever met you in his life the man who rescued our dolly from what you have made her is mr mark ashburn the author of illusion her expression softened slightly from the gratitude she felt as she spoke his name and caffyn noted it if you think he would stoop to slander you but what is the use of talking like that you have owned it all no slander could make it any worse than it is if you think as badly of me as that said caffyn who had grown deadly pale we can meet no more even as acquaintances that would be my own wish she replied do you mean he asked huskily that that everything is to be over between us 
has it really come to that mabel i did not know that there was ever anything between us as you call it she said but of course after this friendship is impossible we cannot help meeting i shall not even tell my mother of this for dolly's sake and so this house will still be open to you but if you force me to protect dolly or myself you will come here no more her scornful indifference only filled him with a more furious desire to triumph over it he had felt so secure of her that morning and now she had placed this immeasurable distance between them he had never felt the full power of her beauty till then as she stood there with that haughty pose of the head and the calm contempt in her eyes he had seen her in most moods playfully perverse coldly civil and unaffectedly gracious and gentle and in none of them had she made his heart ache with the mad passion that mastered him now it shall not end like this he said violently i won't let him make a mountain of a molehill in this way mabel because it suits you to do so you have no right to judge me by what a child chooses to imagine i said i judge you by the effects of what you did say i can remember very well that you had a cruel tongue as a boy you are quite able to torture a child with it still it is your tongue that is cruel he retorted but you shall be just to me i love you mabel whether you like it or not you shall not throw me off like this do you hear you liked me well enough before all this i will force you to think better of me you shall own it one day no i'm mad to talk like this i only ask you to forgive me to let me hope still he came forward as he spoke and tried to take her hands but she put them quickly behind her don't dare to come nearer she said i thought i had made you feel something of what i think of you what can i say more hope do you think i could ever trust a man capable of such deliberate wickedness as you have shown by that single action a kind of malice that i hardly think can be human no you had better not hope for that as for forgiving you i can't even do that now some day perhaps when dolly has quite forgotten i may be able to forget too but not till then have i made you understand yet is that enough caffin was still standing where she had checked his advance his face was very grey and drawn and his eyes were fixed on the eastern rug at his feet he gave a short savage laugh well yes he said i think perhaps i have had enough at last you have been kind enough to put your remarks very plainly i hope for your own sake i may never have a chance of making you any return for all this i hope so too she said i think you would use it thanks for your good opinion he said as he went to the door i shall do my best if the time comes to deserve it she had never faltered during the whole of this interview a righteous anger had given her courage to declare all the scorn and indignation she felt but now as the front door closed upon him the strength that had sustained her so long gave way all at once she sank trembling into one of the low cushioned chairs and presently the reaction completed itself in tears which she had not quite repressed when dolly came in to look for her to look for her has he gone she began and then as she saw her sister's face mabel harold hasn't been bullying you no darling no said mabel putting her arms round dolly's waist it's silly of me to cry isn't it 
for harold will not trouble either of us again after this meanwhile harold was striding furiously down the other side of the hill in the direction of kensal green paying very little heed to where his steps might be leading him in the dull rage which made his brain whirl mabel's soft and musical voice for it had not ceased to be that even when her indignation was at its highest rang still in his ears he could not forget her bitter scornful speeches they were lashing and stinging him to the soul he had indeed been hoist with his own petard the very adroitness with which he had contrived to get rid of an inconvenient rival had only served to destroy his own chances for ever he knew that never again would mabel suffer him to approach her on the old friendly footing it would be much if she could bring herself to treat him with ordinary civility he had lost her for ever and hated her accordingly from the bottom of his heart if i can ever humble you as you have humbled me to-day god help you my charming mabel he said to himself to think that that little fool of a child should have let out everything at the very moment when i had the game in my own hands i have to thank that distinguished novelist mr mark ashburn for that though he must trouble himself to put his spoke in my wheel must he i shan't forget it i owe you one for that my illustrious friend and you're the sort of creditor i generally do pay in the long run only one thing gave him a gleam not of comfort precisely but gloomy satisfaction this manoeuvre with the letter had at least succeeded in keeping holroyd apart from mabel he's just the fellow to think he's jilted and give her up without another line he thought shouldn't wonder if he's married out there miss mabel won't have everything her own way he walked on past the huge gasometers and furnaces of the gas company and over the railway and canal bridges to the harrow road when he turned mechanically to the right his eyes saw nothing neither the sluggish barges gliding through the greasy black stream on his right nor the doleful string of hearses and mourning-coaches which passed him on their way to or from the cemetery it was with some surprise as he began to take note of his surroundings again that he found himself in bayswater and not far from his own rooms he thought he might as well return to them as not and as he reached the terrace in which he had taken lodgings he saw a figure coming towards him that seemed familiar and in whom as he drew nearer he recognized his uncle mr anthony humpage he was in no mood to talk about indifferent topics just then and if his respected uncle had only had his back instead of his face towards him caffyn would have made no great effort to attract his attention as it was he gave him the heartiest and most dutiful of welcomes you don't mean to say you've actually been looking me up he began how lucky that i came up just then another second or two and i should have missed you come in and let me give you some lunch no my boy i can't stay long i was in the neighbourhood on business and i thought i'd see if you were at home i won't come up now i must get back to my station i waited for some time in those luxurious apartments of yours you see thinking you might come in suppose you walk a little way back with me eh if you've no other engagement couldn't have a better one said caffyn inwardly chafing but he always made a point of obliging his uncle and for once he had no reason to consider his time thrown away for as they walked on together in the direction of the edgware road where the old gentleman intended to take the underground to king's cross mr humpage after some desultory conversation on various subjects said suddenly 
"'By the way, you know a good many of these writing fellows, Harold. "'Have you ever come across one called Mark Ashburn?' "'I've met him once,' said Caffin, and his brows contracted. "'Wrote this new book, Illusion, didn't he?' "'Yes, he did. Confound him,' said the other warmly, "'and then launched into the history of his wrongs. "'Perhaps I oughtn't to say it at my age,' he concluded. "'But I hate that fellow.' "'Do you, though?' said Caffin with a laugh. "'It's a singular coincidence, but so do I.' "'There's something wrong about him, too,' continued the old man. "'He's got a secret.' "'So have most of us,' thought his nephew. "'But what makes you think so?' he asked aloud, and waited for the answer with some interest. "'I saw it in the fellow's face. "'No young man with a clear record ever had such a look as he had when I came in. "'He was green with fear, sir, perfectly green.' "'Is that all?' and Caffin was slightly disappointed. "'You know, I don't think much of that. He might have taken you for a dun or an indignant parent or something of that sort. He may be one of those nervous fellows who start at anything, and you came there on purpose to give him a rowing, didn't you?' "'Don't talk to me,' said the old man impatiently. "'There's not much nervousness about him. He's as cool and impudent a rascal as ever I saw when he's nothing to fear. It was guilt, sir, guilt.' You remember that picture of the railway station and the look on the forger's face when the detectives lay hold of him at the carriage door? I saw that very look on young Ashburn's face before I'd spoken a dozen words. What were the words? said Caffin. Proceed, good uncle, as we say in our profession. You interest me much. I'm sure I forget what I said. I was out of temper, I remember that. I think I began by asking him for the real name of the author of the book. Again, Caffin was disappointed. Of course, he was in a funk then. He knew he had put you into it. So you say, at least. I've not read the book myself. It wasn't that at all, I tell you, persisted the old man obstinately. You weren't there, and I was. Do you think I don't know better than you? He's not the man to care for that. When he found out what I'd really come about, he was cool enough. No, no, he's robbed or forged or something at some time or other. Take my word for it. I only hope I shall live to see it brought home to him. I hope I find him at home when it is, said Caffin. These things generally find the culprits out in more senses than one, to use an old Joe Miller. He would look extremely well in the old Bailey dock. But this is utopian, uncle. Well, we shall see. I turn off here, so good-bye. If you meet that libelling scoundrel again, you remember what I've told you. Yes, I will, thought Caffin as he walked back alone. I must know more of my dear Ashburn, and if there happens to be a screw loose anywhere in my dear Ashburn's past, I shall do my humble best to give it a turn or two. It's a charming amusement to unmask the perfidious villain, as I suppose I must call myself after today. But it was hardly safe to do it if he has his reasons for wearing a domino himself. If I could only think that excellent uncle of mine had not found a mare's nest, and if I can only put that screw on. End of chapter 20